You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, Happy New Year. Good to see you guys. You made it. Who stayed up till 12 o'clock? Wow, way to go. I stayed up till like 12.04, and then I was in bed. I was telling Tommy a little bit ago, I used to be cool. I used to be hip. I used to be fun. Now I'm just old, and I'm going to bed at like 12.04. That's how we do it. Well, Happy New Year. This is the time of year where we kind of slip into a little bit of self-reflection, right? We sort of meander into like, well, how did I do this last year, and what can I do better in 2021? Well, hopefully a lot. 2020, we know, was a rough year, and hopefully you've got some hopes, some aspirations, some things that you want to build into 2021 to make this a better year for you personally and spiritually. One of the big goals we have this year as a church is equipping. It comes from Ephesians chapter 4. And one of the things we're going to be talking about even today with this Healthy Habits series is equipping us to do these things that we want to do, these hopes and these aspirations, right? These habits that we want to build into our lives. Here's the nagging question for me, anyway. How do I build habits that are actually fulfilling? I don't want my spiritual life to be reduced to like a rat in a maze looking for a piece of cheese, or like Pavlov's dogs just... Line me up, ring a bell, and give me a treat. I don't want that for myself, and I don't want that for you. I want something more. Our habits shouldn't just keep us busy. They should keep us satisfied. So this morning, this starts our five-week series called Healthy Habits. And just to hit them really quick, here they are. We're going to start with Bible study, God's Word. How do I read this thing? And more importantly, why do I read it? Next week, we're going to move into prayer Is it possible for you to have a vibrant prayer life, to commune with this almighty, holy God that we just sang to? Yes, it is. We're going to talk about that. Then we're going to move into fasting, more than a diet. Fasting is this ancient practice that can actually give you great meaning in your spiritual life. Then we're going to move into worship, week four, not just this thing that we do on Sunday morning, but this posture in our life that carries us through the week. And then we're going to close with generosity. Unless you raise your eyebrow at that one, we're not talking about dollar signs, we're talking about devotion. And so those are these five habits. Maybe you have one or two in mind that you want to start this year. So we want to help you with that. Here's where we're going the next five weeks. Each week we're going to start in God's Word, and we're going to look at why each of those habits is so important. And then we're going to share some really helpful tips some encouragements and some ways that you can actually build this habit in your life. So these messages, these next five five weeks, are going to be really, really intensely practical. Not that we're never not that way, but we're going to do a really pointed effort to give you some things that you can take home and do. I hope this series will encourage you, but more importantly than that, I hope it equips you. If 2020 taught us anything, is that we've got some work to do in our lives And I don't want to give you habits that just keep you busy. I want to help us develop habits that keep us satisfied. So today, 
This first healthy habit is probably the most common one this time of year, God's Word. I know a lot of people start reading plans this time of year. You've got a year Bible or something like that. You start off really great and you get to February, you hit Leviticus and you go, oh, I'm dead in the water. (laughs) So we want to talk about that today. If there's anything that I want for you as your pastor in 2021, hear this. I want to equip you to be formed by the unchanging word in an ever-changing world. So this morning, we're going to look at three passages that when taken together, show us that God's word is sufficient to make us who we need to be. For those of you who are new to North Canton Chapel or if you're just watching us online this morning, there's one big reason why we make the Bible such a big deal around here, and here it is. We keep God's word close to us because God's word keeps us close to him. And that's as succinct as I can put it this morning. So with that said, let's dive in. Go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter one. We'll get there in just a little bit. Joshua is a book all about new beginnings. If you know the story, Moses had led God's people out of Egypt. He led them across this desert through this really painful, terrible period in their history. And he leads them right up to the cusp of the promised land. And then God says that Joshua is going to be the one to lead them over into the promised land. And so there they are. Think about this. You're God's people. This new beginning. Everything across that river is what God wants for you. Everything over there is new. Everything is exciting. Everything is what it should be. You've heard about this place for generations. Your grandparents told you about how good this promised land is going to be. And so there you are, and as the sun rises on your back, you look westward into the promised land. And here is God's word for Joshua. Take a look at verse 6. Here's what he says. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Why? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? So, quick Bible study tip. Whenever you're reading God's word and you come across a phrase that's repeated, Little bells and sirens and lights should go off in your head to say, oh, that's important. So did you catch the three times repeated phrase? What's he say? Be strong and what? Courageous. Be strong and courageous. Let's sit with that a minute, can we? I want to be strong, don't you? I want to be courageous, don't you? Like for me as a dad, as a husband, as a friend, a brother, a son, a pastor, like I want to be those things, and so often in my life, just to be candid, I know those things by their absence. So often I feel so weak, so unable, so cowardly. And maybe in quiet moments of your heart, you feel those things. Be strong and courageous. It's really hard to get there, isn't it? Here's what I want you to see. This three times repeated phrase, be strong and courageous, is the bread in this passage that sandwiches the real meat of God's command here. Verses six and nine, this talks about what 
God wants Joshua to do. Be strong and courageous. But then right in the middle, verse 8, is the how he's supposed to do it. So for Joshua, who's about to take on the greatest leadership challenge of his life, seriously, he's filling in for Moses, one of the greatest leaders in Israel's history, and he's leading a spiritually immature people. It wasn't that long ago they were worshiping a golden calf into a place where no one has ever been. You know that whole leadership challenge that says you can't lead people where you've never been? Well, no one's ever been here before. How's he do this? Where does all this strength and courage come from? It's right there in verse eight. Take a look at it again. Here's what he says. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Where does strength and courage come from? It's not in here. This isn't some locker room pep talk like you can do it. It's not out there. There's no strategies and things like that. Where does the strength and courage come from? It's right here. Here's a summary of God's word to Joshua. Joshua, everything that you need to have to become the person that you need to be, I've already shown you in myself. That's God's word to Joshua here on the cusp of this new beginnings. Now, when you really think about that idea, that's really profound. You think about everything you don't need to be an expert in. God will not hold you accountable for your freshman philosophy class notes. Praise God. (laughs) God's not going to hold you accountable if if you don't take good sermon notes. Right? If you don't have stacks and binders of discipleship and Bible study resources on your shelf, he's not going to hold you accountable for what you don't have. He's not going to withhold blessings from you because you passed on that book recommendation that somebody else gave you. But if we neglect this, if this becomes the forgotten book in our lives, we will always be left short of what God intended for us. You will fall short of your potential and you will never be as satisfied as you were created to be. Everything that God asks for you, he gives you. Everything he calls you to, he lays open for you. He's just taken the guesswork out of it. You wanna be strong, you wanna be courageous? Here it is. It's all bound up in how the holy almighty God of the universe reveals himself to us. Why do we keep God's word close to us? We keep God's word close to us because God's word keeps us close to him. So that's Joshua. Let's leapfrog a couple of centuries. Find your way to Psalm 119. I want to hear from David because David had something to say about this as well. But before we do, Psalm 119, I remember what my second grade classroom looked like. And I remember how it smelled. Greentown Elementary School end of the long hallway, last classroom on the right. I remember walking in and it smells like dusty books and crayons and chalk. And right above the chalkboard was the same thing that your elementary school classroom probably had, this long alphabet poster. Said A, B, C, D, right? And then A was for apple, B was for bear, C is for cat, and so on, right? Remember those things? The idea is that by learning a letter, or by learning an animal, you would learn a letter. And so you learn your alphabet. Psalm 119 is the Hebrew equivalent of that alphabet poster. This is how kids learned Hebrew. 
The Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. Psalm 119 has 22 stanzas. The first line of each stanza corresponds with that Hebrew letter. 176 verses, and almost every one of them mentions God's word. It's an incredible poem. But for now, I want to restrict our view to one verse, and it's a common one. It's one of the verses I learned as a kid, and you might know it. Here it is, Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Kind of takes me back to like Sunday school as like a little kid. It's one of the early verses, right? Well, let's jump to it. Why is this such an important verse for us today? Why is it important to have a light for your feet? Because we live in an ever-darkening world. But here's what I've noticed. It may be dark, but it certainly isn't still. Here's what I mean. Endless truth sources, like a million flittering flashlights, are trying to light your way in the dark. Bouncing around, dancing in the darkness, trying to get you on a path. You are being formed. You are being influenced. Something is lighting your path. The only question is, what is it and who's shining the light? Let me tiptoe out on the ice for just a second. As a pastor, I noticed something happened last year that is both deeply heartbreaking to me and also deeply stirring to me. I've seen a lot of people who claim to love the word lose sight, lose heart, and lose hope because they followed lights that they were never meant to follow. And this life-giving, soul-anchoring, soul-centering disclosure of Almighty God got swept to the periphery in favor of all of the flittering flashlights. And so here's my word for you. As somebody who loves you, I don't want that for you. You are meant for more than following flittering flashlights that run on double A batteries. You are meant to be lit by a light that won't give up, go out, or run out on you, or leave you in a place that is more dangerous than where it found you. Let me drastically oversimplify the issue. Now is not the time to neglect the word of God. If ever in my life I have craved the centering that this book gives me, it's now. And if we don't open ourselves up to learning the discipline of thinking biblically first as a reflex, what does the Bible say? What does God's word say about insert issue here? If we don't learn that, just to push the metaphor, we run the risk of tripping over things in our path, hurting ourselves, hurting those we love us, or getting hopelessly lost. There's a billion flashlights out there. They're a dime a dozen. Only one works. Something else I want to draw your attention to before we move on. I think it's interesting the psalm says, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Tell me, how far does a lamp shine? If I'm up here with like a lantern or a little lamp, how far does it shine? Like a mile down the road? No. It shines like right here. Why is that important? Why am I making a big deal out of that? Because just like we learned last week that God gives us daily bread, I think the same thing happens here. This thing, this book, 
I don't pull it out when I need it or when I'm desperate. This thing should be constantly with me. I should be formed by it daily. Why do we keep God's word close to us? We keep God's word close to us because God's word keeps us close to him. So that's David. One more, and then we're going to get into what do we do with this. One more. Let's go to Paul. How does Paul talk about God's word, this habit? Paul was a lawyer who turned into a tent maker. And he used his skills in tent making to fund his missionary efforts. He planted churches, he trained leaders, he preached the gospel. This was Paul's life. And one of the leaders he trained was a young man named Timothy. Timothy's mom and grandma had taught Timothy God's word since he was a little kid. And so when Paul came through Timothy's town, he probably picked up on that. And he asked Timothy to join him in his church planting, gospel preaching efforts. All in all, Timothy probably spent seven years with Paul, being discipled by him. So fast forward a little bit. Paul is pastoring a church in a city called Ephesus, this incredibly like complicated city, very diverse on the bleeding cusp edge of cultural revolution. And after being there for about three years, God tells Paul, hey, Paul, it's time to move on. So who does Paul call? Timothy. And so Timothy, this young pastor, settles into Ephesus, and immediately things get tough. Three things. First off, because Nero is on the throne, not a very happy time for Christians, if you know your history. Secondly, false teachers are starting to assert themselves in the church, bringing divisiveness with them, never an easy thing for a church to deal with. And then third thing, Paul knows that he's dying. And so with the state of the Ephesian church on the line, Paul writes a letter to Timothy. It's the last letter that he'll ever write how do you think he encourages him? Where do you think he pushes him to look for strength and courage and light and hope? Here's what he says. Take a look. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's what he says. Verse 16. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Four things. Here you go. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. But now here's the kicker. Verse 17. Why? Why bother? That. You've got a hard copy of God's word, circle, underline, whatever you got to do to that word, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Does that remind you of anybody? Doesn't that sound like Joshua? Doesn't that sound like David? This one is intensely practical and personal for me because I think we're facing the exact same kind of stuff that Timothy did. Our world is changing faster than I'd like, probably many of you. Many of you are rightly discouraged as you see Jesus being pushed to the periphery. And so you silently wonder, like, where is the church going to be in like 5, 10, 15 years? Are we going to weather through all this okay? It creates a lot of unrest in me, and maybe it does in you. And so Paul's words to Timothy are God's words to you. Look, you want to make a difference? You want your life to make an impact? You want your church to grow? Here's the thing. Don't leverage your influence on passing opinion. Ground yourself in a deep conviction. Is this enough? Is basically what Paul is saying. You want to be thoroughly equipped for everything that God's going to bring your way? You want to help your kids grow up and handle this world that is coming at them? Do you believe that this is enough or do you need something else? <laughs> That's the question. 
And it is the question because it tests our faith in the sufficiency of what's in this book. Do you believe that this is enough? Are you willing to devote your life to the God who wrote this, disclosed himself to you in here to find what you need to thrive? Do you believe that this is enough? Timely, yeah? So why do I keep God's word close? We keep God's word close to us because God's word keeps us close to him. Now, everything I've set up to this point is like looking at a cookbook. All we've done is we've opened this thing and we've taken a look at the ingredients. Taken a look at the why. But now we need to get in the kitchen and we need to go, okay, how do I do this? I get it. I'll try and make the Bible a priority. I'll try and read more. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to equip you. (laughs) So here's where I want to go. In the rest of our time together, I want to give you some very much cookies on the bottom shelf, take home, do today kind of stuff that you can go and make a big deal out of this book in your own life. Okay, so 10 tips to help you engage God's word. I don't preach like this very often. You know that. But the reason we're doing this again with this series is I don't want to just encourage you. I want to equip you. I want to help you get some momentum as you launch out into this new year well. So 10 tips to engage God's word. Ready? Like you're going to say no. (laughs) Here we go. Tip number one, get a copy of God's word that you will enjoy. Now, I'm not a Bible salesman for the same reason I'm not a car salesman. I have zero interest in trying to get you to do something that you don't want to do. But... Life is too short, and God loves you too intensely for you to not love your time in the Word. So if you don't have a copy of God's Word, let me urge you, get one. If you're looking for what that might be, I'll recommend one to you. There's one that I use, and I know a lot of us use, it's called the ESV Study Bible, right? I don't get commissioned for it, I just happen to love it. In the ESV Study Bible, it's a faithful translation to the original languages, it's super readable, it's super accessible, And so if you don't have a copy of God's Word, take a look at the ESV Study Bible. Right before you read a book, it's got like a summary. It's got an outline. It helps you get over these hurdles like people's names we don't know and places we don't know. And it's a great resource for you. So that's tip number one. Get a copy that you will enjoy reading. Second tip. Here you go. Kind of related to this. Download the YouVersion Bible app. Here's the deal with this one. This is the age of smartphones, right? If you've got one in your pocket, just go ahead and pull it out and hold it up so I know you've got one. There you go. Some of you are on it right now. Sweet. Here's the thing. If I can order pizza from my couch on my phone, I want to have God's word just as much in reach. Could you imagine if God told Joshua, don't let this thing out of your sight, Joshua. Don't let it depart from your mouth. And you could fast forward a couple thousand years to where we are today. And God could tell Joshua, hey, um, Joshua, I can actually put that thing on a little black rectangle that you could keep in your pocket. Joshua would have jumped at the chance. And so the YouVersion Bible app is just an app that I use, and I know a lot of us use, and it's free. And it's got all of God's word on it. Now, here's the deal. I know some of you are bristling at this one, and there's a caution with this one, so let me say it. I can hear it in your heads. You're saying, ah, I don't like the digital thing. I'm going to keep with my printed copy. This is too distracting for me. I don't know if I like this. That's okay. This is just a tip. You don't have to do it. I get distracted too. There's so many times that I will pull out my phone to read God's word and I get sucked into like a text notification or a comment thread and I'm in like an Instagram wormhole for 10 minutes. I'm like, oh, 
I was supposed to be reading. And so here's the thing. I think if we're going to bring technology into our lives, I think we need to be very careful not to vilify the device, but to look at our heart. Because this thing is not the problem. You know what the problem is? My attention-seeking, affirmation-grabby, distracted heart. (laughs) And so I need to actually look at my heart. I think there's a lot of ways that God could redeem technology, not to vilify it. Quick story on that one. So this last week, I was praying for somebody. God brought them to my mind. And um, I just happened to be reading in Proverbs. And I knew they were heading into a tough day at work. And so I was like, God, help me encourage them. And so I came across this verse in Proverbs that I was reading on my phone, pulled it out, highlighted the text, and sent it off in a quick text message to them. Really practical way to encourage people with the unchanging truth of God in an ever-changing world. So a quick little commercial on that. I don't know if you've seen this, but we have a parenting workshop coming up about technology. And so if this is something you're curious about, don't let this go by. So that's the second tip. Download a Bible app. Third thing, third tip, find a consistent time and place. I can't overstate this one. We are creatures of habit, aren't we? How we pull clothes out of our closet, how we brush our teeth, how we go downstairs and the Keurig thing, how we go out to our cars. We are creatures of habit. Scientists who study this sort of stuff say it takes 14 times for a habit to really click in your life. So that's like two weeks of Bible study. And the best way you can kind of jog that, the best way you can make that really stick is to find a consistent time and place to practice your study of God's word. For those who are curious, here's my time and place. I don't do it here at the chapel. I have an office with a closed door. That's nice, but that's not my place and my time. My time isn't even my desk at home. My place and time is the right side of my couch before anybody else gets up. I'm a morning person. And so I get my like 15 to 30 minutes before Mandy and the kids come downstairs. I've got my coffee next to me. My feet are propped up. It's just Brandon and Jesus time. Well, and Gus, my German shepherd, but that's a different story. (laughs) But this is my space and my time. And if I get in that rhythm, it's a whole lot easier to stick with it. So that's tip number three. Find what works for you, consistent space and time. Tip number four, before anything, pray. Before anything, pray. I think it does us a lot of good to remember that this reading of the Bible, this is a spiritual activity. This is different than reading a novel. This is different than reading a self-help book or a leadership book. What I am doing when I open this is I seek direction from and communion with the almighty holy God of the universe. This is a relational tool. And so I need to pray before I get into it. I won't understand anything in this book unless he opens my eyes. I won't be drawn to this book unless he calls me. I won't want to do anything with it unless he convicts me. And so this is a relational thing for us. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He says, texts will often refuse to reveal their treasures until you open them with the key of prayer. Have you ever found yourself doing this? You're cruising along reading something in the Bible and you go, I don't understand that. And then just go on. I want to encourage you, before you get there, stop and say, God, what do you want to show me? What do I need to see here? I'll tell you how I pray. Just a little window into my life on this one. 
I say, God, open my eyes, incline my heart, and satisfy me. Because I know he wants to meet with me there, and I want to see what he has for me. And here's why I pray that way. I pray that way because if you're like me, and I'm willing to bet that you are, showing up for your quiet time whenever it is, is like a musician arriving late to a concert with an out-of-tune instrument. I show up late, I'm hurried, I'm not focused, my instrument's out of tune, and before I can sit down and do the thing that my God is calling me to do, I need to take time and go, God, would you tune my heart? And you know what I find, guys? He's so willing to do it. So before you do anything, pray. Tip number five. Here we go. Settle into a good book. One of the most common questions I get as a pastor, and maybe you get this too, is where do I start? Like, do I just open this thing and play like Bible roulette and go, there it is, that's what I'm supposed to read today. We do that a lot. Pull this thing out and we try and extract a spiritual truth from a random text. Three problems with that method. One, it's super dangerous because you don't really stick with a place long enough to really get the meaning behind it. Second thing, it's really manic. Like one day you're going to be reading about dietary laws in Leviticus, and then the next day you're reading about church unity in 1 Corinthians, and it's just like this up and down. It's like speed dating. It's like getting past the essential stuff so I can get onto what I think I really need, and it doesn't work. Third thing that's a problem is it's just really unsatisfying. It's kind of like living on lifesavers. Doesn't work. So where do you start? Let me give you some help. Settle into a book for a while. Start with a gospel. You can read the gospel of Mark in like 90 minutes. You can take that and spread it out over a week. Matthew, Luke, and John, they take a little bit longer. Paul's letters, a good chunk of the New Testament, these are short but very, very dense. Psalms is more reflective. So sit down and settle in and get used to what the writer is trying to communicate. Tip number six, practice reap. Practice reap. Now here's what this is. I know some of you are like, wait, what? REAP is a Bible study tool that a lot of leaders here at North Canton Chapel are trained in. And it's a great tool if you're brand new to studying God's Word. And it's an acronym, REAP. It stands for this. Read, examine, apply, and pray. And it's a step-by-step process to engaging God's Word. Read. Just sit down and read whatever that verse or whatever that chapter is. You can read it out loud if you want. Read. And then examine, ask questions, like is there something God's telling me to do here? Are there commands or the things I'm seeing here? Examine it. And then apply, which is basically me going, how does my life line up with what I see here? Take some introspection. And then pray. Close your time by saying, God, help me to live my life like I feel you're calling me to live it. Practice reap. Now here's the deal. Some of you are saying, well, I'm not a Bible scholar. Like, I'm not going to get all that. I don't know how to handle that. Here's the thing. I'll give you that maybe I could do it a little quicker because I'm used to the tools, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the same Holy Spirit inside of you and you have the same word open in front of you. All that you need for God to deal with you and the way he wants to deal is the Holy Spirit inside and the word open in front of you. I want to encourage you in that. All right, tip number seven, just a few more. Ask basic questions. Ask some basic questions. It's a common experience that whenever you open God's word, you're met with more questions than you have answers for. 
right? There's lots of stuff. Here's why we need to remember that. This book was completed over 2,000 years ago, roundabout, on the other side of the world, in languages none of us speak, and it references places, times, and people that we can't even pronounce. This is a cross-cultural, complex book. But anytime you open God's word, you can bring two basic questions to the text, and here they are. First, ask, what is this text talking about? Usually it's one word, like sin or contentment or justice or compassion or grace. What is this text talking about? And then number two, what is it saying about what it's talking about? So you take that one word and then you explode it into a larger sentence or idea. Quick example, David and Bathsheba. Everybody kind of remember that story? Kind of spicy. What's that text talking about? One word, sin. Or if you want to get more specific, lust. Well, what is it saying about what it's talking about? No one is immune to sin. No one is above lust. Now, that is a principle that you can sit with for a little while, right? That's that idea, basic questions. Tip number eight, get some simple tools. Get some simple tools. Now, just like every one of these tips, there's an underside to this one. We can learn to measure our spirituality by our bookshelves, and that should not be. Thinking that if I've got all these books and all these commentaries, that means I must be really close with Jesus. Not so. You do not need a full bookshelf and walls full of degrees to hear from your father. But I know some of you are saying, okay, well, I want some more stuff. I want my Bible study to be richer. What do I do? So we've got a, um, a list that we've actually put together for you. Um, it's a list from Amazon. And if you're watching online, it's going to be in the comment thread this morning. And if you want to hop on, if you want that list, you can email me or text me, and I will happily send it to you. These are all basic, affordable, accessible, available tools for you just to kind of kick things up a notch. But I want to remind you, um, I remember my first, uh, my first semester at Bible college. One of my favorite professors, his name was Dwight Perry. He said, you need to resist the urge to look to a commentary first. Or in this case, don't go to Wikipedia Resist the urge to look to somebody else's work first. Learn to hear from the word itself. And that applies to devotionals too. Our daily bread, all those other devotionals that are out there, that's not reading the word of God. That's hearing somebody else's thoughts. You develop the muscle of learning to hear from your father through his word first. And those other resources are gonna be valuable for you. And they're simple. Tip number nine, go with someone. Go with someone. Here's what I mean by that. There's this um, saying that's kind of making its rounds a lot these days, and it says this. It says, you'll go faster alone, but you'll go further together. Here's what that means. I can plow through a book all by myself. Right? I can get my quiet time done in five minutes, hear from God, close the Bible, on my way. But if I go with someone, someone who knows me well, and won't let my pride get in there, who won't let me off the hook. People who know me well, warts and all, and they can call me on my stuff. When I make the word of God a corporate thing, I can more easily see my pride in the context of community. Some of the most prideful Christians I know are ones who do it alone. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Go with someone. Last tip for you this morning. 
do something. Do something. One of the most dangerous mistakes that you can make from the word of God is learning something and doing nothing. I'll say that again because it's super important. One of the most dangerous mistakes you can make with the word of God is learning something and doing nothing. Guys, I know a lot of Christians whose heads are full of knowledge, but they don't love their neighbors. I know a lot of Christians whose Bibles are so well highlighted, but they never get around to actually living the life that Jesus calls them to live. Why is that? Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. What's James say? He says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. (laughs) Jesus would talk about those kind of people. He'd say there are whitewashed tombs. Outside, man, they look great. Inside, yikes. (laughs) Don't be that way. I love preaching. (laughs) I love that you love preaching. You come here because you hear the word of God preached. But one of the greatest and most sobering humiliations of preaching is the knowledge of my limits. I can hold the word up for you once a week for 35 minutes, right? And I can do it as best as I can. This is my calling, to preach the word of God and to shepherd the people of God. But at the end of the day, where the real power is, is with you and the Holy Spirit. I can take this thing 90 yards, but you have to punch it across the goal line in your own life. And so whenever you read the word of God, read it with an eye toward what does God want me to do with what he's showing me here. So I know that felt like a dump truck load on your front yard. A whole bunch of stuff. Ten tips. I'm super excited for these next few weeks. I know that God wants to lead us because I know that God loves you. We're entering a new season, 2021. And we need strength and we need courage. We're navigating a very dark world and we need light for our path. We're growing as a church in new ways and we need equipped for what God is going to call us to do. Why do we keep God's word close to us? We keep God's word close to us because God's word keeps us close to him. So here's where we're going to go. We're not going to close by singing. We're going to close by sitting. It's likely that God wants to do some business in your heart. Maybe there are some things that you want to do. Some of this stuff stuck with you, and you're going to ask, okay, God, help me get started. I don't even know what to do. So the band's going to come up in a little bit. We're going to have five minutes where we just sit. And so for those of us in this room, we don't do this kind of thing a lot, but we want to create some space just for God, through the Holy Spirit, to work in your heart like he wants to. And for those of you watching online at home, take these next few minutes just to sit in this space. And then I will come up and I'll close this out in a word of prayer. Let's pray together first, can we? Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it is sufficient for all that we need to become. And now we ask for your help. We want to be equipped to do everything you've called us to do. And let's start that with your word. Father, teach us. We love you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, 
It goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at nchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.